Hi, my name is Andrew Bolton, and this is the Pros and Content Podcast. I'm the Chief Client Officer here at Notch, and on the Pros and Content Podcast, we'll be featuring a series of truly remarkable content leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance of measurement, scalability, and the optimization of content. Today on Pros and Content, we are welcoming Todd Hassenfeld, the Senior Director of E-Commerce at Simple Mills. As their name suggests, Simple Mills sells nutritious food with a focus on flavor. Things like almond flour brownies and veggie pita crackers, made with ingredients you'd recognize. Todd brings a unique perspective to today's show, as our guests are not often from CPG companies, nor strictly e-commerce functions, but also because Simple Mills uses content to avoid conforming to traditional CPG expectations. We're excited for you to hear how Todd focuses on relationships, resonance, and recipes through clever and effective content. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Andrew Bolton. I'm the Chief Customer Officer here at Notch, and welcome to the Pros and Content Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Todd Hasenfeld, who is the Senior Director of E-Commerce at Simple Mills. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Uh, really excited to be here. And uh, you know, Notch has been in the news. You guys are nominated for a few awards here. See, Digiday has you for Young Careers, and and Garrison's nominated for HR, and uh, some other ones you guys have been doing. The best tech startup. I mean, it just keeps coming on your Twitter feed. It's it's a uh, really a testament to what you guys are doing there. Thank you for stalking us, and thank you for <laughs> um, you know uh, buying into our propaganda machine um, that we are taking over the world. So I appreciate that. Um, uh, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, excited to have this conversation. We haven't uh, had that many uh, CPG folks um, on the show, and I think it's a really unique angle when we're talking about content. Um, for those of uh, uh, the listeners who are not familiar with Simple Mills, give us a little bit of background on the company and what you're, uh, what you're focused on. Yeah, so I work at Simple Mills, which is a natural uh, baking, cracker, cookie, frosting and bars company, food company. Uh, we started in the natural channel as well as on Amazon. Uh, and we're very proud to be, you know, number one in baking, number one in crackers and number three in cookies in the natural channel, but also expanding, you know, rapidly into the conventional channel as well. We're in 20,000 stores plus a very good, uh, online presence. So the company was founded by Caitlin Smith. Uh, who just found that, you know, food really does impact your mood and impacts how you feel. And she found an opportunity, uh, did a lot of, you know, at-home baking on the side, uh, you know, talking with Whole Foods and, and other partners. And, uh, you know, in seven, eight years here, she's built uh, a huge company and uh, we're excited where the growth can go and um, excited to partner with Notch here. Yeah, that is pretty uh, quick growth uh, uh, in a short period of time. Like, what what are some of the things that attribu- are attributed to that growth besides just you know grit and hustle? Yeah, I mean a lot of grit and hustle by uh, you know by Caitlin and the team, but I think it's really the food tastes good. Um, it is products that are better for you. Uh, you know, we're gluten free, but we really pride ourselves on the taste of the product. And as people have have tried it, it is that stereotype that may be oh, it's better for you. It's not going to taste good. We, we buck that trend. And, you know, we have such great stories from people that write in or email or from our reviews where they literally say, this has been life-changing for me or for my family. You know, if it's a celiac disease situation or just trying to eat better, um, Simple Mills has really resonated with the consumer. And so we're just trying to amplify that message uh, to more and more people. And, you know, Caitlin always says, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, it's about better for you eating and, and making sure you're putting foods 
uh, in your body that your body recognizes. You know, one of our key things is simple ingredients. Um, you know, many of our products have 10 ingredients or less, um, things you can pronounce, things you can recognize. And uh, I, I, I think that matters as people look at a side of a, of a box or a, of a nutritional panel and they see not a paragraph of ingredients um, that resonates with people. Yeah, no, I mean, it's super important. Um, and I think as people are more aware of what they're putting in their bodies, uh, you know, around, uh, you know, in COVID times and whatnot, I, you know, you're, you're in, a, in a strong position there. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit uh, later about how COVID has impacted the business, because I know that's something that people are always interested in, especially in the baking um, world, seeing that baking was kind of a thing and still is a thing um, <laughs> when you're stuck at home. Before we get there, though, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, um, how long you've been at Simple Mills, how you got there, what drew you to the company, um, but really about kind of what your how your background impacts your point of view and the work that you're doing at Simple Mills. Yeah, I started at Simple Mills right in the middle of the pandemic. I have not worked a day in the office yet. I started just in mid-April here. Um, so it's been an interesting journey that uh, most of my teammates I've met have all been uh, on Zoom. But uh, I was really attracted to the company, you know, based on, again, what the what the brand represents and the opportunity to really help people in how they, you know, what they eat and how they feel. And, you know, the opportunity to lead the entire e-commerce team was exciting to me. My e-commerce journey um, you know, started only about five years ago. Uh, I, I'm in forever indebted to Matt Goodson, uh, at my last company who took a chance. Uh, he needed someone for e-commerce and he picked a person that had, you know, 15 plus years of brick and mortar, um, with no e-commerce mm -hmm. experience. I, I always tell him it was a bad hire on paper. Um, but, it, but it allowed me to, uh, you know, know I had to learn fast, uh, pick up on, e you know, what the e-commerce trends were. And I think what's important about e-commerce, what resonates um, is the consumer and focusing on the consumer. Um, how are they reacting? And, and you know, e-commerce allows you to have that quicker data, that quicker reaction. You can see even product reviews, um, but see what is what is the consumer saying and how can you pivot quickly? Um, I mean, I go back even you know, to my high school days when I was working at fast food companies. Um, I remember one when we you know, it, it transitioned from a Hardee's to a Wendy's. I went out to the drive-through window and just looked in the drive-through lane and looked at the menu. And the manager was like, "What? What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm working drive-through window. I know that people are going to have questions on what the pictures are, or what that says, or where are the kids' meals. And if I mm -hmm. if I can better direct them, that's great." So I, I think you know, it was, again, it was then everyone was doing it uh, at that particular store. The manager loved that, but it's it's about thinking like a consumer, what resonates with them, um, and I just think. Um, when you look at an Amazon, when you look at a Thrive Market, you know, in the e-commerce space, while they look at it very differently and how they connect with consumers, um, you realize how much content matters. That online shelf, how you get people to your website, uh, how you connect with them in different stages of the funnel really matters. Yeah, for sure. I think it's e-commerce is an interesting term because I, I think that... Um, it actually doesn't do what you do justice because e-commerce to me and I think maybe to others too just always sounds like, oh, well, you're just selling stuff online. Like, oh, it's just like, you know, just it's more about like the shopping cart and like getting people to to take action there when it's really more uh, a, a full funnel marketing discipline um, because you do have to engage people. You need to bring them in. You're just converting them in a way that's different from them going to the store and picking something off the shelf, right? Yeah, I mean, in e-commerce, you you really have to stay curious as you and and not become complacent with what your shelf looks like or what your content looks like to get people there. Because 
yes, it's not just about putting it on, on online and hoping it sells. You have to be on page one. You have to be above the fold. You have to convert. And that really comes down to your on-page content, right? Between bullet points and titles and, and even your pictures uh, uh, to make sure you're not confusing the consumer, but you know, converting them. But also then, yes, you do have to get them there. Um, and if that's through you know, any type of content marketing, how do you resonate with someone in such a cluttered world to get them to your product page? Uh, and then once they're there, how do you convert them? So talk to us a little bit about content and, and what that means, that word means um, within Simple Mills. Um, uh, how are you utilizing, utilizing how, what do you do um, to utilize it for in the future? Yeah, I think as most companies, content, depending who you ask, has a different definition, right? Um, and, and what it totally. should <laughs> what it should do. Um, I think as the conversation has been evolving, you know, we, we've hired a lot of new people recently with our growth. And, and so a lot of different opinions coming in. And that's good to have that dialogue. Depending on what the content purpose is and how how you can measure it and how it's connecting with the consumer at various points of the journey is really what we're evaluating now, not just assuming mm -hmm. uh, that piece of content leads to this. Um, OK, what what exactly that does it actually lead to an in-store purchase or an online purchase? Um, is it resonating? Is it helping with our brand awareness? Is it improving our you know bounce rate on our simplemills.com website? Um, so I think as we look at content is make sure the content has a purpose um, and, and make sure, you know, we want to make sure whatever form it is, whatever medium we're using, you know, that Simple Mills content is positive, but it's not naive. Um, that's encouraging, but not preachy and, you know, progressive and but not trendy. And that can be hard to do to make sure that you're, you know, keeping that consistency or following those type of tenants, um, especially when you're talking to, you know, potentially different consumers. Like I said, maybe uh, a consumer in a natural channel is different than the consumer channel. How do you, re how do you connect and resonate with both kinds? And as a health and wellness brand, um, what do you view your role um, as content creator uh, as being? Um, is it more about that upper funnel providing um, guidance and lifestyle information and choices to consumers? Is it more about like the utility and it's just like, oh, hey, you know, here's a recipe, go make this. Um, is it a little bit of both? Like, how do you think about the interplay and in, in, in where does content fit in? Yeah, I, I think it's all of the above. Uh, when I look at uh, what we do with our blog, it, it's about connecting via education or even helping, you know, as we're all learning our new normal and, and what this means to live in a COVID world. Um, what are some time saving tips? What are some food related information that can help understand how much food does impact your body or the importance of less mm -hmm. ingredients? I think our blog um, and even our email newsletter we use for that. Uh, but then you mentioned recipes. I mean, our, our Simple Mills recipes, I mean, we have 200 plus recipes there. Um, there's a lot of inspiration for people. And, and that's, you know, a little bit more when they're connected or even to get to connect someone. Um, but you, you know, mm -hmm. talk, to, talk about baking uh, in the COVID world. Yes, baking is just exploded. I mean, it was popular before, but now it's really become uh, something with people being at home more. And you go back to second quarter where four of the top five Google searched recipes were products that we had. So when you mm -hmm. look at like banana bread and, and pizza dough and pancakes, you know, breakfast is having a, a comeback here. So yeah, it's now three we of my, three of my <laughs> three of my favorite right there. You perfect, know. perfect. We'll send you some over. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, now it's like we can take recipes that maybe we posted a while ago, but bring them back or even a blog post and now reconnect with consumers or connect with new consumers because, again, the times are different. So I, I think as we look at content for that, again, you know, it goes back to blog to educate and our newsletter or inform. And then the recipes uh, is more of a functional and then even an opportunity to buy. And then from my lens, from like an e-commerce standpoint, again, that content also does come back to the product detail page. And mm -hmm. it's that's not just about when you're on, you know, let's say, a Thrive.com or an Amazon.com of converting right there. A lot of times people are in stores looking at your online page to read reviews, see what other people are talking mm -hmm. about. Uh, you know, they're looking at uh, your, your product description that they may not be able to get on shelf. So when you think about content in that way, it's it's more of a pull model, but it's very important because it does influence decisions, you know, both online and offline. We were talking earlier about, you know, kind of the, the case for content um, for businesses. I think everyone, you know, wants to invest in content and they know that it's important, but, you know, trying to refine, like, what is the case for? And one thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently is this idea that you know, one of the biggest cases, especially in COVID times, is this idea of building an audience for your brand, right? And an audience that you can repeatedly tap into where you're not reliant on Facebook, you're not reliant on different media channels, like it's something that you own. And you mentioned the email list as one way that you're engaging people. Talk us through a little bit about um, how you use email um, um, to to reach your target consumers. And then how do you use the content within that to kind of pull them into maybe something that's more of a blog post than maybe to a recipe and then to, you know, to, to, to a purchase? Yeah, no, great question. You know, most of our email signups, uh, you know, do come right from our site at the bottom of all of our pages is the ability to sign up. Uh, and then once they engage and, and provide that email, um, you know, we do have a surprise and delight uh, email that gets to them. Uh, I'll, I'll keep that a surprise for now. But, uh, you know, something that does entice them to uh, to keep uh, to, you know, to try the products. Everyone, <laughs> everyone go sign up now. Simplemills.com. Get that get that email. Surprise and delight. Absolutely. Simplemills.com. Um, but then it's but then is that connection with the content and you know what is part of that email and really a couple of things that we focus on uh, with the email is inform um, and that can be either of new products that can be of an ingredient that can be of a topic that's you know trending that's regarding health and wellness that maybe isn't as well understood or well known by by most uh, so we try to be uh, a leader in the health and wellness space in the education and informing. Um, so many people, it depends on, you know, their journey, where they are, if they're more of a health striver or a health enthusiast. But um, end of the day, people want to learn and understand this better once they start moving down that path. And, and so we want to help them in that regard. But then a second part of the email is bringing in outside perspective and working with we have great partners with registered dietitians. And so mm -hmm. can we can we bring a perspective that, yes, it's via the Simple Mills newsletter and, and Simple Mills email, but uh, a person that does not work for us um, and and someone that can have a perspective that consumers, potential consumers or existing consumers uh, that they can you know also respect and, and kind of learn more from. So we don't do a lot of, um, you know, sales or promotions on the email at all. It is more about informing, mm -hmm. uh, more about education. I feel like email for the longest time was just like, you know, 50% off, you know, buy one, get one free and, and not super, you know, content heavy, but it sounds like you've gone that route. Yeah, we, we, we more, you know, we say we want to keep it authentic and not and not just uh, have, you know, what what is the latest deal or what it is, you know, we really feel that mm -hmm. 
the the brand will resonate uh, with people because of how we inform them. And again, how it makes you feel like it is a difference when uh, you, you decide to go on that health journey and, and start eating products that are better for you. Um, that resonates with consumers. And we want to continue that kind of learning and, and how, you know, how can they adapt, how they can keep going uh, versus just having, you know, a race to the bottom with promotions. Um and listen, we're not we're not a discount brand. We're not going to win the price game, um, but mm-hmm. we we can win the content game and and help people out. And so we focus more on that with our content, with our you know like our blog and newsletter. And I think this is why you know partnering with a company like Notch, you know, be it you know newsletter or however else we can collect information, um, you know, like through first party data, is how do we amplify then that message with more people um, that would be similar to the people that have already signed up. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, the end goal there, and we were talking about this is this idea of how do you use content to reduce that customer acquisition cost? Because I think it's very easy for brands to get caught up on like the discount email, you know, 50% off, whatever it may be, because it's all about, okay, acquisition, like move product, move product, move product, or you're out there using, you know, social advertising to reach a limited audience. At some point in time, you need to engage them in a more meaningful way and the brands that can build that audience and build that data set now um i think will be in a much stronger position um you know a few years down the road here as you know third-party data becomes harder and harder to come by there's more and more privacy rules like if you own that audience and you've engaged that audience then you don't have to go the discount route all the way all the time because you've got that trust and that's going to help you know increase your sales and reduce your acquisition costs yeah, I mean, a, a term I like to say is, do you have surface level depth, right? And, and I mean that mm-hmm. because I mean that because there's so many distractions. Like you said, yes, it is. It obviously uh, more value to uh, acquire a customer and, and then you know communicate with them versus keep trying to attract new ones. But at the same time, you know, where is customer loyalty right now? It's it's maybe just the next piece of content they see from one of your competitors. So. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at it, you have to you have to be fast in how you connect with them. You're kind of that surface level, but yet that message, whatever is on your content, has to be you know deep meaning to them, or at least deep connecting. That the next time they're in the market to buy, you know, for us like a, a baking mix, that they don't look at our competitor necessarily. That they have depth with our brand, be it from content, from the experience, whatever it may be. Uh, so yeah, I mean, do you have surface level depth? Um, you know, to really, you know, keep that consumer. Uh, we, you can't take the consumer for granted nowadays. There is so many messages, so much content out there. I mean, I think uh, uh, the chart that's out there, you know, what happens in an internet minute, hmm. right? I mean, it's it's incredible. It's like 347,000 Instagram stories, 41 million text messages, 500 hours of YouTube video in one minute. Um, so when you think about your content, like as a brand, you can't assume that the consumer has seen every piece of it. I think we all assume as brands, like, yes, everyone's tracking every message that you sent. And did we say this or not? Um, no, uh, you have to put a lot out there. But also, you know, that surface level depth is how do you connect quickly with them, break through the clutter, and then connect so that it resonates the next time when they see you know a competitor or a different kind of uh, content from someone else. And when you're Looking at your uh, resources and, you know, growing company, you know, you only have so many resources and, you know, performance marketing does have, you know, a a place like how do you balance um, that kind of brand marketing versus more performance marketing? And more importantly, how do you sell that internally? And and how does those internal conversations net out? Because 
you know, it is very easy to say, well, hey, we're just going to divert more and more and more to performance marketing because we need to move product and we know that that works. And brand marketing is more of the long game and it can be easy to ignore. So I'm curious how you balance that internally and how those conversations progress. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And, you know, actually, I think one of, uh, you know, the future of content event you guys had uh, something that resonated with uh, PayPal's, I think it was Ian Cohen. Uh, you know, he mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, kind of this, it's, it's performance content versus reputation content, you know, same as kind of brand marketing. You know, when, when you it's a fine line um, of how this is because brand marketing or reputation content end of the day, it probably does need to lead to the performance side of it, right? It does need to lead to revenue. Um, it does need to lead to a sale um, because, you know, while you can have advocates, um, you know, for your brand, maybe without purchasing it, I, I think of like a Tesla. I think there's a lot of Tesla fans out there, but most people that are fans don't own one. Um, or even when mm-hmm. you think of, or even when you think about your, like your stock price, uh, people buy stock, yep. but they may not use your products. But I think that that branded content or, or reputation um, marketing is important because, again, how do you connect to get to that sale? And when we look at the balance of it, it's it, it's a little bit of both because even like on Amazon, you can call that more performance marketing. But then you think about like a Ford or some auto companies that spend millions of dollars on advertising on Amazon, yet you can't buy a Ford truck on, you know, on Amazon. It, it is about building that mm-hmm. brand. So it, it is this blurring of lines. Um, and it when you look at performance or branded marketing, also when you look at the KPIs, I mean, you can look at likes, you can look at followers, but how much does someone like you uh, really like when they, or, or, you know, how, how, how long, well, how long does that like last? I, I think personally, mm-hmm. we all, we all have people that we've connected with on LinkedIn or Facebook and all of a sudden their birthday pops up, you know, one day you're like, I, I don't even know who that is, or I forget who it is. You know, our, our, yeah. consu- our consumers doing the same thing with how often they like. And then also the follower game, you know, if, if following was like, you know, following brands was like a parade and consumers were had to pick one float to go on um, uh, who they're going to go to. Are they going to pick your brand? So I, I say those things because you can have the content. You have to look at really the KPIs. What is it leading to um, the, the reputation marketing or kind of the brand marketing? It can't just be followers. It just can't be likes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously leading to revenue is an easy one. But, uh, you know, how often are they engaged with your brand? How often are they engaging with a lot of pieces of your content? So I think that balance, um, you, you never want to be too heavy on one side or the other as we kind of look at it. But you have to you have to understand um, that the brand marketing side does have to lead, uh, you know, lead them down the journey. And we're trying to get better at being more personalized. And so that that mm-hmm. message with the branded content is targeting the right people at the right time. Um, and, and so it's not something that they, you know, doesn't, doesn't resonate with them or isn't relevant. Um, you know, we have to produce more content to be able to do that. But I think that's where the branded content piece will come is, you know, kind of like a hub and spoke model in a different way, but just grab people with, you know, more personalized ads, but then bring them to the spot where you want them to go, whether that's simplemills.com or one of our product pages, you know, on an Amazon or a Thrive or others. That makes sense. I think uh, the other question I had is uh, when you think about your team and we're talking about limited resources, again, smaller team growing. Uh, you just mentioned you just hired someone new, uh, which is always great. 
Um, talk us through a little bit about like the qualities and skill sets you're looking for for hiring people, you know, within the e-commerce team um, with that eye towards, you know, what the future of e-commerce is. Um, you know, be interested in also uh, not only from a skill set perspective, but also a temperament perspective, because you are a smaller growing brand, a startup in many ways. Um, and that's going to be a lot different for people who are probably in the mains from coming from mainstream, you know, CPG. So interested about, about the, the makeup of the team. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I think to your point, because it's a smaller brand with not the resources of maybe a lot of the, you know, in our category, big food, you do have to be scrappy, right? You have to get the most. You got to be effective and efficient with the resources that you have. Um, but, you know, as I look at hiring people, one, there has to be, you know, two-way trust. Do you have trust with the person and do they have trust in you and what your vision is, what the goals are, and then what the work can be done? Um I think a big thing for e-commerce is curiosity, um, not getting complacent. You know, if you put content on a product detail page, that's not done for the year. Then, you know, that's that's mm -hmm. not like a plant. It's not a planogram like in a in a store where maybe it's a once or twice change. Um, you have to constantly be curious to see what keywords are resonating. What are people searching for? And, you know, um, what what are some trends that we should take advantage of in terms of you know resonating with consumers? What pictures um, are, you know, best for the content page. So again, it doesn't confuse consumers, but it, uh, you know, converts them. Um, I like people that are able to read and react versus being very structured. Um, and I think especially in a small company, you do have to wear a lot of hats. Um, you know, you're not just on the e-commerce team, you're on the simple mills team and we all have to chip in to whatever, you know, whatever the initiative is or whatever the need. So, are you able to read and react to what's going on and not need a structured format to really succeed? Um, other things I ask, you know, like in an interview are, how do you learn? You know, what, what are some, you know, who are you connected with on LinkedIn? It, it's a good way to see if they're active learners, right? Um, yeah, learning doesn't end when you graduate college or graduate high school. Uh, you have to you have to keep adapting and, and keep uh, you know keeping current on whatever your whatever your field is. Uh, I'll compete the competition. So it's always interesting to ask a candidate, you know, how do you learn and see what resources they have? You know, how, how what's the depth of their answer uh, from that standpoint? Um, you know, with e-commerce and I think just in general now marketing as well. You know, you got to lean heavily on data nowadays, um, but you still have to have the ability to sense that human emotion or anticipate what's what's truly connecting people at a personal level. Um, you know, it's a balance and still heavier on the data, but you, you can't be just looking at the data and ignoring what's going on in the world today um, or in general. And then I think another question is just assessing, you know, what are the best and worst parts um, either for working at a small company or working in e-commerce, you get a really good idea of where people's heads are at. Nothing is perfect. Nothing is all, all, you know, all positive. Um, so you really get an assessment of what they think, um, what, you know, really what they love about, you know, e-commerce or simple mills, but also what are the opportunities and then, you know, how can they go fix it? Yeah. I think building that strong team of, of learners, um, is, is very important. Um, especially when we're in this remote world too, because there has to be a lot of natural, um, curiosity. Um, you don't have that ability to, to pull a team into a conference room and start whiteboarding things live and maybe trying to pull people along, um, you know, um, you know, uh, with the team, it, they really have to be able to do that independently, which is super tough to find, you know, the folks that can, do that really effectively, you know? Yeah. And, 
yeah, I think that's where the trust comes in too. that kind of that two way trust I talked about, you know, managers or leaders. Yeah, a lot of leaders are struggling right now because they don't they don't see the person in the chair at the office. And that doesn't mean they're not working. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of the studies are showing people are more productive at home, uh, depending on their situation. Um, but end of the day, it, it just it comes down to trust and that you don't have to micromanage. You don't have to physically see them working or you know, have to tell them everything. A person doesn't learn if you're constantly just giving them the answers all the time, right? And uh, it's just not effective. Yeah. So I, I think that, yeah, that curiosity, that ability to learn are, are really key things, not only in e-commerce, but, you know, really for marketing and, and just overall nowadays as things are changing so fast. I mean, there's a great quote. I, I've, I've tried to look up who actually said it first, and there's so many different people trying to take credit for it. I can tell you, it, I can tell <laughs> you this quote is not mine, but um, it, it says that, Things have never moved so fast before, and they'll never move this slow again. And and I think that's just you know really resonates uh, you know nowadays on on what's going on. But if you're waiting for things to slow down to catch up and figure this all out, it's it's like a snowball. You're you're, you're not going to be able to keep up. You know, it's just it's you have to adapt and, and consume information and learn fast. How do you have the content team or the the folks that you know, touch content? How are they deployed? So. Um, you mentioned that you've got the blog, you've got email, um, there's other um, distribution channels as well. Um, and then you also mentioned that you are bringing in third party kind of experts into the, the, into the, the content a bit. Talk to us a little bit about how the team is structured, like in, in how you parse out the roles and responsibilities. Yeah, I mean, so e-commerce is under marketing. You know, I've been under sales in the past, but I think being at mm -hmm. Simple Mills with e-commerce under marketing, I've always been close, whether I've been on a sales side working with, you know, marketing teams, but being on the same team, it does allow for that, you know, quicker collaboration and, you know, marketing team calls where our content and creative team, um, you know, is, is part of marketing as well, separate from e-commerce, but we are very closely aligned. Um, and what the e-commerce team does is can provide more the data and technical side of it. Uh, you know, if it's from keywords or what our competitors are doing from product pages, you know, inspiration, listen, finding companies like Notch, uh, you know, I, I think the e-commerce teams just in general, including at Sample Mills, like I said, we have to be curious. So a lot of times we may find companies mm -hmm. um, that, that uh, the creative team or sales team or finance team may not find on their own. So when you bring these kind of resources in, then it's how do you give it, how do you give the benefit of either the, the outside company or the data that we're seeing on e-commerce? How do you give it to teams in digestible formats. You know, if you give them everything you have, it's mm -hmm. just going to overwhelm them and they're going to have 20 briefs to fill, you know, fill out and right. figure out. Um, so it's what's, what are their goals? How are they trying to connect? What are their themes that they want to, you know, that they have on the calendar ready to go? And you look at those themes, what's planned and say, okay, yes, this, this is what's resonating with consumers or here's one that's not. Um, but then I think when you bring in the outside agency perspective, what it really does or what it should do, at least, is make the content and creative teams more efficient. Uh, it shouldn't be more work. It, it should be more efficient because now it's streamlined on what is going to connect with consumers, what it's going to, uh, you know, what's going to matter. And now we can we can prove it uh, down, you know, with better KPIs and, and better ways of tracking it. So I think if you if you find the need um, you know, for creative teams, 
the reduce their workload, right? I think all creative te- all creative mm-hmm. teams. I, I don't think there's a creative team out there that would say, "I got nothing to do. I have nothing to do." Um, if you can find ways through data, through partnerships, through insights, um, you know, be it from e-commerce or whatever department you may be in, I think that's the best way of doing it. Uh, and then you can see how it all connects. You can look at brand awareness scores. You can look at revenue. You can look at bounce rates. But the more relevant data you connect to all this, you can make people's work even more meaningful of what they're doing versus just, you know, a content factory that they don't know if it's uh, if it matters or not. Yeah, I think it's, you know, data and uh, uh, insights around content. It's it's a force multiplier, or or at least it should be when used properly. Um, I think other times people can be, to your point, overwhelmed by data and insights and it actually can slow them down. And so that fine line of figuring out, okay, how do you how do you increase operational efficiency using this information versus just bogging it down is is a is a is a difficult balance. Well, and even just the speed too of your learnings. I, I think uh, a lot of times there's mm-hmm. you may have a, a monthly or quarterly update from someone, um, and by that time you may recognize what the trend was or what an opportunity was, but you missed it, um, or vice versa, you were wasting money on you know some content that was not was not working at all but you went 30 days without it i think yep. as you speed it up and and use data more especially for a brand that has a limited budget or not as many resources you can be more efficient with that money and then that just you know then that makes the finance team happy it makes leadership happy when that marketing spend and that content is working even better than than before and uh, i just think the speed of data and, and being able to amplify things that are working and pull funding off things that aren't uh with data and not just opinion um you know is really important uh Last question, and uh, it's kind of two parts. It's it's really about trends, and you know, put on your pro- uh, prognostication uh, hat um, a little bit. So, first off, uh, any one content asset or marketing tactic or something really stand out for you um, in the past six months that you were just like, "Holy cow!" Like that was crazy. Um, and uh, then, uh, kind of thinking uh, forward, looking a bit. Um, what do you see from a trend for the next six, 12, maybe 18 months, um, which I know 18 months from now is going to be like a completely different planet, probably, um, who knows what's going to be happening, but curious kind of like how, what's been happening over the past six months is going to really inform, you know, the next 12 months for you guys. Yeah. I mean, I think specifically being in a food category, um, the last six months has really, it's been incredible. The online grocery explosion right and um mm-hmm. you know i was i was doing an internal presentation looking at data charts and we've all seen how fast e-commerce has exploded you know five ten years of growth in the last quarter right or really in second quarter um, and a lot of that online grocery um and a lot of people didn't want to do online grocery what was the most common thing you heard oh i, I don't want someone else picking my produce um okay fine but when you looked at a chart of online dating and when people, how they got married, where they found their partner, online, online, <laughs> online, yeah, online dad or online dating is like three years ahead of online groceries. So my line to the group was, I guess we're more comfortable picking our partners that are produce online, you know, right now. But that adoption had to happen, um, you know, for various reasons. You didn't want to go to the store. You didn't feel safe, what, whatever. But it did happen. And I think mm-hmm. when you look at, you know, the growth of Instacart, uh, you know, shipped. Uh, everyone's online grocery, they had to scale up really fast. And, and despite 
you know, poor wait times, um, content that wasn't ready, you know, product pages that just were not great. Uh, you know, people were like, oh man, this, this happened fast. I don't have, I have old packaging up there or whatever. People still resonated and said mm-hmm. that this matters. And we're still in the early stages of this. Um, but I really think online grocery, you know, you talk about dark stores or ghost kitchens now, right? Where dark stores are, you know, people are not, people mm-hmm. aren't going to be shopping in there actually. Personal shoppers will be picking orders for either curbside pickup or for, you know, like an Instacart or ship delivery. But, you know, online grocery is kind of getting Netflix right now, where, you know, you think about, okay, um, instead of going up and down every aisle in a grocery store, just like flipping the channels. Now you have a curated selection based on your past purchases or whatever you watched last, right? Netflix just serves it up to you. You don't have to flip anymore. Same thing, same thing yeah. with grocery is how do you how do you then make sure you're part of that first basket or how do you connecting with consumers? Because they tend they tend not to look for brands um, all the time. They look for product like groupings. But how do you get them to type in simple mills? And, and that can be you know, all the content outside, be it brand marketing or whatever. Yeah. You know, and then you go to. Yeah. I never thought about I never thought about that, like the lack of in-store browsing. Right. Of like something catches your eye. You're like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to try that. You know what I mean? It, you know, people really need to, you know, probably the people get stuck in their routines of like, OK, this is what I just order week after week after week. And to break into that cart if you're not there already is is, is really different. Yeah. And, that, that, and like people say, well, this is going to be bad for you know consumers are not going to do this. That's why I go back to the Netflix example, though. We have done it. It took a while to cut the cord, but now it's a lot more popular. And again, mm-hmm. people are OK with not flipping and doing that. They're also OK with when you think about like binge watching a, a series. Well, you know, Instacart data shows you that after 10 orders, you pretty much order the same 25% of products every time. Like you have your your go-to, your pattern. Yeah. So I think when um, you know you look at this online grocery thing and, and it's going to evolve, I think we'll get to a point where you have a, let's say a delivery every Tuesday at 10 a.m. And that is your staple products. It's your Simple Mills baking mix, your Simple Mills cookies, you know, and every, everything like that, right? But then maybe you do go to the store whenever it's safe for more of an event or, or more of learnings or tastings or something like that. And, and maybe that's mm-hmm. a great opportunity, uh, you know, for brands, for different kinds of content within the, you know, within the store experience. But uh, yeah, from an online grocery perspective, I think how everyone had to scale up so fast um, with what happened, you know, in, you know, really March, April and May um, is, is just been incredible. So um, that answers the past, you know, looking ahead, so many things, right? I mean, just just today was the news with Cameo. You know, Cameo has was doing, you know, starting their business with having celebrities. You, you know, I could pay, you know, anywhere from fifty to five hundred dollars for a celebrity and send a personal message to a friend, a family member, or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's fun, it's great. But what they announced today, I saw, is now they're moving uh, in a in a bigger fashion into business to business. And they're pivoting, which is smart. They're saying, hey, their business travel is down. A lot of people can't go visit people and have in-person meetings. And while this won't be your primary way of selling, it is something that, again, breaks through the clutter. So they're going to now they're they're announcing that, mm-hmm. you know, you can use Cameo to have a celebrity uh, send a personal message to your buyer <laughs> or, or to whatever. And and that's a really interesting take. We'll see see how brands respond. But that's content, too, because, yes, you can make it a private message so no one sees it except the person you send it to. 
But you can also people can leave it public. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you want to go look, uh, you know, at Tom Brady, you no, know, as a Patriots fan, if you want to go look at Tom Brady sending messages, maybe your brand's in there. So it, it's going to be a form of content. So it's interesting there. And it kind of ties into more what is big overseas, but hasn't caught on tremendously in the U.S., which is live streaming. And I, I think for brands, it's not easy. It's scary, right? It's, it's, it's live. It's not a scripted thing that you can re-record or whatever. But um, I think how do you, you know, how do brands figure out this live streaming piece? Um, it, it is becoming more popular. It's getting, you know, it's getting co- more common, at least, at least awareness. But how do you create content for a live streaming format uh, that either watched live um, or, or the recorded piece? Um, but again, real really can resonate. And, and then how can you repurpose that content for other things? Um, you know, I think that one other thing would be voice devices. You know, we, at mm-hmm. what point does, you know, does an Alexa device or a Google home? I mean, there's 200 million of these in the U S and homes. When does it become more than setting a timer, playing your favorite song or, or checking the weather? Um, when does it become an educational device of learning about brands or reminding you to buy maybe? Um, or now since so many more mm-hmm. of them have screen for video playing. So I think the, the voice devices and, and maybe it's when driverless cars become a thing, you know, really become popular and you're just sitting in a car and not have to drive anymore. And, and uh, <laughs> you, you don't want to hold your phone. Maybe that's when it does. But I just think it's a really interesting concept that you have these devices in everyone's home. And I know there's a creepiness factor to it as well for some, but you have a way of connecting with consumers. So how do you figure out to be relevant without being intrusive or creepy? Um, but I think voice content uh, could really be something that one of these years it's going to be right that voice con this is the year for voice content or this is the year for voice to be more than those things that i mentioned before yeah for sure i mean for anyone who's got a young kid who's figured out how to use alexa or google or whatever it is you're like oh all right well i guess that's like the next smartphone you know they used to show like babies when they were like swiping on magazines and they're like why isn't this working now like the kids are going to go up and start talking to like lamps and like inanimate objects and be like, what, why, why isn't it not listening to me? So well, it's, it's a whole new, um, it's a whole new way of surprise and delight. Right. I mean, I have two young kids and uh, we've had a couple packages come to the house that neither, you know, no adult in the house ordered. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, forgot to put the code on. So, uh, okay. Got to do that. So it's interesting. Yes. That, that is a, yeah, hopefully a low cost surprise and delight um, <laughs> yes. for sure. Um, yes. Fantastic. Uh, Todd, this has been a great conversation. Um, thanks so much for joining, um, getting us up to speed on all the things that Simple Mills is doing, how you're approaching e-commerce. I think it's a, uh, you know really helpful information um, for the audience. And so uh, I appreciate you uh, you joining us. Andrew, I mean, great conversation. Really appreciate it. And hopefully everyone does go to simplemills.com for that surprise and delight. Yeah, go go sign up that email um, for those emails for sure. Um, and I'll, I'll look for my, my, my surprise and delight you know box of stuff arriving uh, you know, next week. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pros and Content with our guest, Todd Hassenfeld, the Senior Director of E-Commerce at Simple Mills. As Todd mentions in the conversation, Simple Mills is not a discount brand. They won't win with bargains, but by utilizing content in an intelligent, measurable way, they will earn customers while providing help, expertise, and encouragement on health-centric journeys. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any suggestions or feedback, you can find me at rayatnotch.com. Visit us at prosandcontent.co to find more amazing content about, well, content. And tune in next time.